As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next? Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on the show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, if you haven't picked up bookish gifts for everyone on your list just yet, you've still got time. Share the gift of reading with presents you won't have to pack and ship, like a membership to our Modern Mrs. Darcy book club. With options for monthly, quarterly, or annual memberships, a Modern Mrs. Darcy book club membership gives the gift of a better reading life through community, classes, and conversation. Plus, it's something you can do together, keeping you connected to your friends or loved ones throughout the year. Purchase a gift membership for your favorite reader at modernmrsdarcy.com slash shop. Readers, when I met Courtney Haggerty at a Modern Mrs. Darcy meetup earlier this year, I was agape at her story of her family's annual high-stakes reading competition. Today, she's joining me on the show to talk all about it. Courtney is a sports aficionado, Disney World superfan, and third-grade teacher in Louisville, Kentucky. She reads multiple books at all times, even when waiting in line at Disney, and turns to the words on the page for entertainment, for general mental health, and sometimes as a coping mechanism when her favorite sports team is in a tough spot. Thrillers and mysteries are Courtney's go-to genres, and she also enjoys long books that make her feel like she has really accomplished something when she's done with them. Looking ahead to the new year, she's interested in branching out into more nonfiction, historical fiction, and family dramas. What Courtney needs today is a solid foundation for her 2023 reading list so she can start the year off right and maybe get a jump on her family's fierce literary competition. I hope to give Courtney some recommendations to build a base for the year to come and equip her with some promising picks that she will enjoy reading while she moves up that reading contest leaderboard. Let's get to it. Courtney, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for hopping on. Now, we got to meet, I think it was during the Modern Mrs. Darcy Readers Weekend. Is that right? Yes. Yes. We had a meetup here in Louisville. Where we both live, um, but had never connected before. And so we got to go to Heine Brothers and to the bookstore and take a bunch of photos and talk about books, including your family's literary competition. Yes. Our favorite, our favorite thing to do in our family is read. Uh, now, first of all, tell me about being a third grade teacher. 
Um, it's great. In third grade, we're kind of building a love for reading. Hopefully they have built that foundation of reading already. So it's just really putting those right books in their hands to to um, make them really love to read. Yeah. What do you wish every adult knew who has a child in their life that they are interested in seeing fall in love with books and reading? Like, what do you wish you could tell them? What do you tell them sometimes? I just say, let them read what they want to read. Um, don't put parameters around it. If they are a very excellent reader, if they want to read a picture book and they're, you know, a little older for it, let them read it. It does not matter what they read, just that they are reading. Yeah. Is that what you tell your nieces and nephews? Absolutely. <laughs> you, I think you mentioned that you were like the fun book aunt in your family. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, well, they're lucky to have you. So, Courtney, how would you describe your reading life at this point in the year? Well, I think right now, when I'm in the middle of a school year, my reading takes a little bit of a slow down um, just because I don't have that much time. And it's really hard after a a hard day of work um, to relax and to focus on a book. Um, so that's kind of where I am right now. When, when we've got school breaks, I'm able to really focus and like, that's all I do is read and and do things. But when I'm in the school year, um, I have so much more to think about than just that book. My mind is always on so many things. Um, so right now it's, it's slowed down, but I'm still, I'm still in the middle of several great books. (laughs) We're going to hear about that. Now, I don't remember what we were talking about at Heine Brothers when the talk turned to intense reading practices in people's lives and in people's families. Do you? Do you remember how Uh, we got there? I don't. I think I always like to bring up our family reading contest. I, um, when I interviewed to be a part of the education program at my university that I went to, I brought up that reading contest. It's just like, hello, my name is Courtney, and this is what my family does. <laughs> like, it's just, we all kind of do that. <laughs> it's just kind of a great conversation starter. So how long has this family reading contest been part of your life? Well, let me look. I have my binder that we uh, put all of our date, our, all of our titles in. Uh, we started in 2005. So I was in high school um, and we, wh- I actually had to ask my grandmother, my grandmother started it. Um, she was a, a retired school librarian. And I actually called her last night to figure out really why did we start this? Because we were all, all readers really. Um, I've been a reader forever. So what it started with was that my aunt um, claimed that she read over 50 books a year. And my uncle was like, oh, there's no way you do that. And she's like, I read one a week. Absolutely. And my grandmother overheard it. And so she decided that we were going to track our reading. And so at Christmas in 2004, she gave everyone in the family a we call it our handy dandy notebook. It's a miniature binder. And she told us that you are to write um, the title, a brief synopsis, and how many pages. And she said that next Christmas in 2005, at Christmas, whoever read the most books would get a dollar per book. So we have been doing that for 
well, I guess this is 17 years now. Um, and it's, it's a family tradition. <laughs> it really, it really is. That is amazing. Okay. So looking back, how has it shaped your reading life? Well, you know, it's really interesting when I look back because I was, I was 15 when we started. So like back then I, and I have like the list from every year, you know, I did really well when I was in high school. And then when I went to college, it really kind of slowed down. Um, I think there, there are a lot of other things to do when in college. And then once I graduated college and started um, my career, it, it got back to being a lot more. And I, I see years where it was school was a little tougher, like my first year teaching, where I didn't read much, whereas I'm a pretty veteran teacher now that I'm able to kind of do work and then read and balance those together. Give me a feel for how many family members are participating in this contest every year. It's really a race of three to four of us every year. Um, my aunt, my mom, and my brother and I. Uh, my brother is a, has a master's in English literature, so he's a huge reader. My mom and my aunt and I, it's kind of between the four of us at the moment. Um, but we ha- I have little cousins now. They were two and not born yet when we started. And so later on, my grandmother let them join the contest and they got a quarter a book, regardless if they won the contest or not. I never got that chance, which I'm still (laughs) better. My brother and I are 10 and 14 years older than my oldest cousin. Um, So they had that division. And now the, my youngest cousin is 15. And so she is now in the adult division because we started when I was 15. So she is now. um, So it could be a different competition this year because my cousin Kate is a huge reader. She actually won the bookworm award for her freshman class last year. Um, So it could be a tough competition this year. Wow. Okay. So grandma was a librarian and it sounds like, I feel like I've spoken so much on this podcast about quality over quantity that I just have to acknowledge mm-hmm. this is a quantity-based competition. And yet it yes. doesn't feel like that's doing anybody any harm. No, and I, I was thinking about that. I've been talking to my family about that because I know that's something that, that you talk about. And, you know, for us, we would read regardless if we were doing this contest or not. And we read, you know, quality literature. We don't, you know, we don't just read short books to get our numbers up. We, we read the books that we want to read. And if we don't win that year, that's okay. Cause we had good books we read anyway. Yeah. It sounds like grandma knew this would really bolster enthusiasm for reading and also for this, this locus for the family to connect around. Absolutely. And it's, it's been pretty competitive and it's, <laughs> it's, fun, um, it's fun every Christmas Eve to, to hear about, you know, what we've read and, you know, there for a while it was, you know, we were all reading some of the same books. So that's been fun um, lately is that my mom and I are now able to um, share books together. And my grandmother and I are going to start um, buddy reading uh, the new uh, Demon Copperhead book together. So we read and talk about books all the time. That's that's our number one conversation starter. Do you all review each other's handy dandy notebooks at the end of the year? Well, now, 
we we used to um the first few years you know, Grin was very very um made sure we had to have that synopsis but once now that we're we've done it so long we don't have to do the synopsis anymore <laughs> it's just a, a list of the books now Courtney tell me about the year that you won Oh, it was last year. Uh, it was the, I mean, I was. You didn't just, say that at Heine Brothers. Yeah, it was just last year. I'm I'm impressed I, that you didn't just gloat. Like, yeah. I had 75 um, and it was, I think it helped that I was home a lot more. You know, we were work, we were teaching from home. Um, we didn't go back into the classroom till March last year. So I could read a lot more. But I, I was not with my family for Christmas last year. I was um, away. And so I had to call in my number. And um, so I got a, a little sandwich bag of ones. I've never been so excited. <laughs> I, I had never won before. And that was, that was my best year, I think. I, think I hope your family best. rejoiced at your accomplishment. Well, I think they were a little irritated that they lost. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you told us it was intense. Yeah, it is. It is intense. Yeah, I think that was my my best number. This year, I'm getting getting close. I'm getting close to that number. Any any hope for a repeat? Oh, absolutely not. Um, Somebody has far exceeded um, the number. I I will not reveal the certain number because they might listen. but uh, let's just say I've got somebody in the triple digits. I'm just sitting here smiling at your family competition. That sounds like such a fun way to make like reading, which can be a solitary activity into this really fun communal activity. Like that sounds like a blast. Courtney, any final thoughts that you would share with those who are intrigued by this idea? I would just say make it your own too. I mean, we we are a different kind of family with this, um, but you can do it any way you want to. If you don't want to do money, you know, you could always, I, I'm always kind of sad that we didn't do a, um, we do a family baking contest where the winner gets to write their name on a spatula. I'm kind of sad we didn't have like a trophy or something like that's something I think would be fun to pass something to every year. Um, I'm sad we didn't do that. that. That's my one regret with this. So looking ahead to 2023, so 2022, this is not your year for the competition. Maybe 2023 will be, but I know no matter what, you want good books to read and we want to get you set up for for the year ahead. Sounds good. So what I'd love to do is hear about the books you love and don't, and then just add a few titles to your list that may give you a good start for 2023. Yeah, I'm excited. Okay, Courtney, how'd you choose your favorites? Well, I have... It's hard for me to pick my favorites because I feel like every time I read a book and I enjoyed it, I'm like, well, that's my favorite. Um, So I picked ones that really stayed with me through since I've I've read them. I've finished these. um, You know, it's been a a while since I've finished some of these and they're still with me. So so that's why I picked them. I love it. That's a great way to pick. Let's jump in. Tell me about the first book you loved. Sure. Um, the first book I picked was Bear Town by Frederick Bachman. This book, I mean, it just hit me in all the different feelings. You know, it had the sports component, which I love, but it also was a a true 
look at a town and I love, I love that. I love this small town dynamics, you know, I, living in Louisville, you don't, it's a big city, but it's still small town in ways. Um, so I really, I really enjoyed that in the, it really stuck with me. Can I tell you, that's what my grandma always said when I was growing up. She'd say, it looks like, it, it looks like a big city. But if you do yep. anything terrible, I will hear about it in seven minutes. So exactly. actually, actually, she told me that as a warning. <laughs> I grew up in Lexington, so it was the same thing in Lexington, too. <laughs> so like reading about the small town with a totally different experience than the one you have had in your life was really like part of the part of the attraction here. Right. And now I have to admit, I haven't read the rest of the books yet in the series. I am. I'm so behind on like current reads like that. And I'm one of those that like, I don't want things that I love to end. So like some of my favorite shows that I, I still haven't watched the season series finale because I, I don't want it to be over. So Uh I'm taking it pretty slow. I really admire that. And you are far from alone. There are so many who save that last book because they don't want to live in a world in which they don't have any more, for example, Frederick Bachman books to read. Right. I might be the opposite. I just gobble them up greedily and then I'm sad there's nothing more awaiting me, but I wouldn't have it any other way. There's room for all of us in the reading life. Yes. And yes. and I mean, that last one was 700 something pages. So I know I've got, it's, it's on my shelf. I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm just not ready yet. There are multiple ways in which you have a lot to look forward to. Yes. Okay. That's Beartown by Frederick Bachman. Tell me about another book that has really stuck with you. Uh, my next one is I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara. Mm-hmm. This was a an investigative um, journalistic look at um, the Golden State Killer. And I thoroughly enjoyed this. I love a true crime um, show, is, but I really enjoy a true crime book, even though I am the biggest scaredy cat around. I, it, the true crime does not bother me. I wanted to be a lawyer for a long time. And so that kind of intrigues me. And I love a journalistic look in a book. I love, I love that kind of point of view. Um, I don't, I don't know what it is about that, but I love an, a good investigation. I have been scared about this book. So how long ago did you read this? Actually, I just read it this summer. I um, finished it on my plane ride back from Boston in June. So that has been a while now. So now as you look back, like what are the parts of the book that, that still like run through your mind at times? I think it was the way that it became personal for the author and how she spoke about the, the victims and those who were affected by this. Um, it made them feel like real people. And I think in some true crime, it can be like so far like remove, you can feel really removed, but they, they just seemed like regular people and you felt like how they felt. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really, it was a really, it was a really good, a really good book and really interesting. It was, I like to hear all the procedural parts of investigations and things. Is that true in fiction and nonfiction? Oh yes. Yes. I love a good procedural in fiction and nonfiction. Absolutely. Okay. I'll remember that. Courtney, what did you choose to complete your favorites list? So the last one I picked was Girls with Bright Futures by Tracy Dobmeyer and Wendy Katzman. Uh Um, And this was a fiction telling of the college admission scandal. 
And I went on a bit of a theme a couple months ago, and I read like three books on this topic. And this one, though, was a little different, though. It was that it was basically showing how intense the parents get to get their children to achieve their dreams for them. Not necessarily the child's dream, but what they want for their child. And so I thought it was really interesting as I'm quite a bit past college, but to watch my cousins go through the college process and things Mm -hmm. and see how they have to be independent and make their own choices. But in this book, it was the total opposite. The parents were, were doing some really downright awful things to get them into schools. Uh, This is a thriller, isn't it? This isn't one I've read yet. Yes, it is. It is. I believe it's like really suspenseful. Yes, it is. It is. And ethically (laughs) portrays people making really questionable choices. Absolutely. And I think I am a real rule follower and I like breaking rules really gives me anxiety. So like for me, I think that's why I like reading those kind of books too, because I'm like, well, I'll never do that. (laughs) So it's so (laughs) far-fetched to me that I'm like, it's just so intriguing to me because I'm like, well, that is so far beyond what I, my real life is. Yeah. It was, it was very questionable, lots of questionable decisions. Okay. So in reading fiction, you can see how some people grow up in tiny Swedish villages and how some people bend, maybe break the rules and both are just like, huh, (laughs) totally voyeuristic. How how might people choose to live? Right. (laughs) Courtney, tell me about a book that didn't feel right for you. Oh, uh, the one that did not work for me was Normal People by Sally Rooney. And truth be told, any Sally Rooney book does not work for me. I'm probably in the minority here, but I just feel like nothing happens. I just feel like it's, there's, there's just no, no real drama. No, it just didn't, it doesn't, it doesn't keep me, keep my attention. (laughs) Courtney, so many people are yelling, I know, at their car speakers right now. People have loved Sally Rooney on the podcast before, and people have said this work is absolutely not for me, and that is all fine. But we want to hear why it doesn't work for you. Like, she loses some people because they just can't do it with her lack of punctuation marks. Well, I don't think it's the punctuation thing for me because I teach third grade. I don't see punctuation much <laughs> in writing, I'll be honest. that That's a real struggle for my kids. It was just boring. I don't... I don't know what it was, if there's just not, I just didn't see the point. Like, I just, I was just like, okay, well, that was fine. Like, it was just like not exciting. And I I just, I don't know how, I don't know why it doesn't work for me. Because I, you know, they say she's like the author for millennials. And I am quite a a millennial. I mean, my age is right there. And it just, I I'm a bit of an old soul and maybe that's why Mm -hmm. it just does not. And I've read more than that one of hers. I've read conversation with friends too. And I just had the same thing. I just like, eh, didn't really see the point. Well, even among millennials, there are still readers who love character-driven books and still others who love a plot-driven novel. You know, like people read for different reasons and her works are very interior. I'm wondering if that is a, a factor in it not working for you. That could be. 
Yeah. And I like, I like a character driven, I think, you know, it, I go back and forth. I think, oh, maybe it's, maybe I like character driven. And then I'm like, no, maybe I'm plot driven. I, just, I like anything that really holds my attention and it just, it doesn't work for me. And I have yet to read her, her newest one. Cause I'm just like, well, I'm not going to like it probably. Okay. I'm thinking about normal people, which I read for the first time, not that long ago. And uh, I'm just thinking about how much of the plot in normal people is, is about characters not taking action. It's about them not doing the thing that you know as the reader they're supposed to do. Like that would be the right thing to do for the relationship for themselves. And they don't do it. And that is the story that they didn't do the thing that needed to be done. But it sounds like it's not that you were frustrated that they didn't take action. You were just like, come on, like, can something please happen already? Yes, yes, that is exactly kind of how I felt. Yes. Like let's get some let's get something going. Come on. <laughs> so, a story about the devastations of inaction is just not going to be your thing because nothing happens. That's the point. Right. Or let them make that decision and then let's see the fallout from it or the consequences. Like I I don't mind seeing that. I just I just felt bored by those books. <laughs> Courtney, what have you been reading lately? So I I just finished Bad City um, by Paul Pringle. Oh, I don't know this one. It has a longer title. It was it's about um, Paul Pringle is a, a journalist. He um, in Los Angeles, and it was about how there was quite a scandal with the with the University of Southern California. Again, another campus setting where some bad things really happened with the dean of the medical school and how the university covered it up. And it had multiple scandals in it, which I, I find fascinating. Um, again, that investigative journalism um, type of, of novel is something that I, I really enjoy. Um, I think it just takes, takes me out of the, you know, my boring life and, and it gets me a little excitement, but I, I really enjoyed it. That was my, my last read. I finished that in line for, um, the Ratatouille ride at Disney world this week. <laughs> was anybody else reading in line? No, mm-mm, nope. <laughs> I, I haven't seen, I've not seen many people read in line to be honest, but it doesn't bother me. I just, it, it keeps the line going. I go by myself, so I don't really have anyone to talk to. So it's a perfect time for me to read. I love that you're able to do that. Courtney, what are you looking for in your reading life right now? I would love some books that really take me away. I love a novel or a, a book where I can go to a different place. Um, I think that's with Beartown. I mean, it's another, you know, I've never, I've never been to Sweden. It's a somewhere where it's so different from where, where I live now. And I love an, a good escape. I see that in the books you enjoy. Are you still on the hunt for more historical fiction and family dramas and maybe nonfiction for the year ahead? Absolutely. I love a good historical fiction. I am a big history nerd. I love, I love the history channel and love, I love anything history. And I, I love a good dual timeline uh, historical fiction. That's a big, that's a big conversation in our family. I'm the only one that really enjoys a dual timeline. <laughs> I love that you know that about your family members because most people wouldn't be able to say that about 
about their <laughs> their their parents and aunts and uncles and cousins. Yep, my when I when my aunt comes and I have my bookshelves are stocked full and she every time she comes she looks for one and she'll be like, "Is it dual timeline?" and I'm like, "Yes." And she's like, "Nope, not going to do it." <laughs> <laughs> It's it's a known thing. Like if I recommend a book and it's dual timeline, they don't usually like it. But I love a dual timeline. Okay, which means that you Absolutely. need to get recommendations from those other than your family members. Right. Okay. <laughs> Courtney, tell me a little bit more about what you'd like to be reading. Because I know that you told me that you often like read a lot of new books, but you read them on about a six month delay by the time you see see them out there in media and then get them from the library. Is this a rhythm you like? Or are you looking to read more old, more new, all that? Okay. So I, my family likes to call me a book collector, but I'm not a book collector in the sense of I collect the same book or classics. No, no. I like to go to bookstores every week. They know me at Carmichael's. Now I go every Sunday morning and I pick a couple books every week. But do I read them when I get them? No, I have stacks upon stacks everywhere. But I'm still reading those on Libby, so I get behind on my reading. So it doesn't matter to me what when I read them, I just I feel like I'm always behind the the current trends. And that doesn't bother you. It's fine. You just want good books to read. Exactly. Yeah. I I I love being surrounded by books. <laughs> Whether I've read them or not, I guess. I bet they love you at Carmichael's. Listeners, that is our local independent bookstore here in Louisville. They do. They do. And they know I'm a teacher now. So every Sunday morning, they're like, how was your week at school? (laughs) It was fine. That's so kind. I love to hear it. So Courtney, you're interested in reading more nonfiction, family dramas, and historical fiction. You especially love a book with a dual timeline. We've talked about how you want something to happen in your stories. Like you may like character-driven books, but you want some action as well. And I'm just really remembering how you went on that college admissions campus novel spree and really enjoyed it. And you love investigative journalism and procedurals, whether that procedural aspect is incorporated into fiction or nonfiction. And we want to find you some good books to set you up for success in this cutthroat family reading competition in 2023. Although you're happy when you're reading books you enjoy no matter what. It doesn't matter if you take home the cash at the end of the year. Absolutely. Which is a great place to be. Okay. That being said, can we start you with a really short one that will let you get an easy, like (laughs) an easy entry into your notebook? Okay. So there's a little novella, um, maybe even a short story length book by Claire Keegan. She wrote small things like these last year. And this is just pure speculation on my part that based on that success and the award nominations it received, that's why the same publisher has put out this new book. It's called Foster and it came out this fall. It'll be at Carmichael's right now. They'll have it for you on the shelf. I have seen it there. Yeah. And it's really pretty. So, but have you read it? I have not, but I have heard, I've heard it's wonderful. I'm so glad to hear Uh, it. I haven't haven't seen it anywhere, but I'm so glad to hear that. So this is, this is very short. Like it comes in at less than a hundred pages, even though the format is small and the text is kind of big, but it really packs a punch. Like this book takes you on an emotional journey, even though there's not a lot of space to work with. I want to call this historical fiction, but I'm not sure that it is. Like the time period is never clearly stated. 
at first it felt like it happened a long time ago to me in rural Ireland because there's a chamber pot in a room. And like some of the, some of the things happening in the kitchen made me think like, oh, this is old. But then we find out that the family watches the television news every night. So I'm like, oh, well, this isn't as old as I was thinking it might be. I may have to read again and do like some deep investigation and see like, are there any references I missed that would let me know? Like Claire Keegan, could you just tell us when this is set? It doesn't matter to the story. I'm just curious as a reader. But this little book begins with an anxious child, a young girl. And again, it's never stated how old she is. I'm picturing in the neighborhood of like eight to 10 years old, but her father is taking her to leave her with, I believe her mother's relatives that she has zero familiarity with. Like she doesn't greet them by name. She doesn't run up and hug them. Like you don't get the impression they've seen her before, but you find out that her mother is expecting another child and the family is taxed and the family is really struggling financially and everybody is exhausted and not getting the work done. And this couple has agreed to foster her. And no, I didn't understand the meaning of the title until, until I realized, oh, that's what this book is actually about, to lighten the load until her mother has the baby and recovers a little bit from childbirth. And this book, Courtney, stuff happens in this book. Um, it's narrated from the child's perspective, but this is not like one of those precocious children's stories. Like she's she's narrating her experience. And so she has this like naivete that lets you that lets you see things with like the innocence of a child. But she's also very emotionally astute. Like she she notices immediately, like this couple that I'm living with, like that something sad has happened here. But also like this is a house that's free and easy. And like, there's, there's discussion about like secrecy and shame and the line between and how this new family she's living with, like there is no shame here. It unfolds over the course of one hot summer where the girl talks about being a little bit out of time. Like where I am right now, I can't be what I've been before, but I'm not going to be here long enough to turn into what I could be. And I don't want to tell you how it ends or the discoveries that are made along the way, but like, this is a journey that happens in a small space, and I think you'll be glad that you chose to take it. How does that sound? That sounds great. Okay. I also want to tell you and everyone, this is like a small format book that you, I read it in two short sittings and it was wonderful, but you could easily, like you could read it in the time it takes you to drink a cup of coffee if you don't just like pour it back. Um, but this is small format and it's the perfect size for like a gift exchange or a small token or if you want to read something by the fire on a chilly evening, it could be really nice for any of those things. Okay, that's Foster by Claire Keegan. I want to slide in a book to your college admissions. Little, I'm, I'm picturing this little like nook on your bookshelf where you have the stack of books that's going to get bigger. This book is not about a scandal exactly, but it touches on that. And I didn't mention that I have a high school senior. So I have been living that college admissions life. Although like I can see how parents can become deeply invested in that, but oh, wow. I might have thought the books along those lines are too close to home for me right now. Like I'm living it. I do not need to read anything else about it. But then accidentally I picked up this book that's not coming out until February. I think it comes out February 14th. And I wanted to read it because it's from the Tiny Reparations imprint at Dutton. And forgive me, everyone, if this sounds super nerdy, but 
publishers have their own personalities. And I found that I really like the personality of this new publisher. This is Phoebe Robinson's imprint at Dutton. And this imprint is, they say it's highly curated. It, there's only a half dozen books out right now. And they publish literary fiction and nonfiction and essay collections. And their goal is to highlight and amplify unique and diverse voices and to publish books that not only reflect the current conversation, but also push it forward. And that is mostly tiny reparations, direct wording there. And I've really enjoyed their books. And this new one is, became available to me and I knew I wanted to read it. So I just thought, why not now? And then I found out on like the fourth page that the protagonist as a job helps high school seniors get into college, mostly by helping them write their college admissions essays. And I thought, what universe? Are you kidding me? But apparently the universe wanted me to be able to tell you about this on this timeline. So it's called Gone Like Yesterday by Janelle Williams. And it is the story of Zara. She's in her early 30s and she is a college prep coach. And she talks throughout the book about how people don't understand what it is that she does unless they are very much in that world or know someone who has been. But she lives in New York. She moved there from Atlanta. And what she does is help rich, mostly rich white kids, Zara is black, get into college. And these aren't the parents out of Girls with Bright Futures who are just like stomping on, you know, the the ethics of how everything should work here. But Zara doesn't really admire them either. She's just not really relishing helping these kids get into the Ivy Leagues. She's not finding a lot of joy and purpose in it. But at the very beginning of the book, she takes an Uber ride that kind of changes her life. So two things. This Uber driver connects her to her niece, who is a black high school senior who goes to a white, super competitive prep school. And she wants to get into Stanford. But this family is not able to pay a college prep coach like herself. She works for 75 bucks an hour to help write her essay, and she volunteers. You can see her in the text, not saying out loud to this family, but to herself. Why did you do that? Like, why would you offer to help this girl for free? What are you thinking? But one of the reasons she does it is when she is in the backseat of this Uber car, she sees a cluster of gypsy moths in the car, and they're singing songs to her. And what you find out is that she has always been followed by gypsy moths and they are always messing with her and they've been at it since she was a kid and they're fluttering around and they're always singing songs but nobody else can hear the songs and so I was like this is very interesting where is this going to go so Courtney this is a book about a college admissions prep coach who connects with this young girl this high school senior who also has a bit of the dreamer and a bit of the magic about her and when Zara's brother disappears back in Atlanta, they go on a journey together with the Uber driver as well, because he's got a car, obviously, to take them from New York to Atlanta. And they learn the story of the Moss and the story of their respective families in ways that are deeply transformative. And it is definitely magical. Like those Moss matter a lot. I noticed that the flap copy of the book tells you what the moths represent. Readers, I don't know if you want to know what the moths represent, because it's not revealed till pretty late in the book. You might just want to discover this on that journey yourself. But Courtney, how is this sounding to you? That sounds fantastic. I wish it were out already. I wish it were too. I wish it were too. I wish you could go to Carmichael's and get it this weekend. But yes. we know that you have plenty to read. So I'm not too oh, yeah. worried about that. Okay. I thought maybe a nice family drama would be good for your shelves. But instead, I want to recommend, I think, a pair of books. And one is so perfect for you that I wouldn't be the tiniest bit surprised if you have read it already. And that is Tell Me Everything, The Story of a Private Investigation by Erica Krauss. Do you know this? This was in I have that. I have that on Libby right now. I think it's one of my holds. This is a great book 
for you. It blends memoir and true crime. It's about a landmark sexual assault case that takes place on a college campus. And while it's never identified in the book, the journalists you know say that it's clearly identifiable as the University of Colorado at Boulder. But this is such an interesting narrative where she tells her personal story and the reasons why it was totally like wrong for her to take the case. Like she had a history of sexual assault. So why would she be professionally wading into those waters? But she does. She works for an attorney as a private investigator. She investigates cases for his firm and he takes on a new client who was sexually assaulted by college football recruits at this school. And he wants to prove the school was not only aware of, but complicit in the program's culture of violence. And she says to herself, this is a bad idea. This could potentially be terrible for me, but like, I can't resist the prospect of securing justice and making the perpetrators pay for what they did, like to the student and to so many others. And you, you watch the lawsuit and this story move forward and what that does for her and what happens in the case. And I mean, we, we both know why it's on your list. How does that sound to you? It sounds great. I imagine with the frequency of Libby Holds you have coming in that maybe perhaps you don't read everything that comes through. But I would really, tell me if I'm wrong. I know that happens to me and I don't, I don't use nearly as many Libby Holds as you do. But um, I would definitely like clear the decks and make time for this one. I will. That sounds great. Okay. And uh, I hate to give you another book that's not coming out until February, but I'm going to do it because it's too perfect for you and you really need to know about it. Is that okay? Absolutely. I love any book recommendations I can go get at Carmichael's in a few months. Absolutely. So Rebecca Mackay, who was a Pulitzer finalist for her novel, The Great Believers, that came out five-ish years ago, maybe four years, has a new book coming out. This new one is set at an isolated New Hampshire boarding school where the protagonist went to school in 1995, where one of her classmates was murdered back then. So the narrator, her name is Bodhi. She has grown up. She's become a professor. She's become a professional podcaster. And she does a lot with uh, true crime and Hollywood on her podcast. So now she's back to teach a special short session of class to high school students. And basically, she spurs someone, even though she knows she shouldn't, to investigate that 1995 murder and do a podcast about it. Because Bodhi, that podcaster, protagonist, professor, she has some questions. And there's a specific person she has a lot of questions for, and that is a teacher who taught back then that she thought was never fully investigated the way he should have been. It's such an interesting, self-aware exploration of true crime and education and close professorial student relationships and feminism. And I'm not entirely doing justice to this, but I think this like ticks so many of your boxes. It's called I Have Some Questions for You by Rebecca Mackay, and it comes out in February. That sounds oh so good. <laughs> So good. It's it's going to be great for you. And it's a longer one. I know you love that feeling of accomplishment with a longer book. This isn't super long, but it's about 450, which is not, it's not, it's not faster. That's my favorite. Yep. Okay. Courtney, I didn't give a lot for you to choose from, from right now, but available to you right now, you have Tell Me Everything 
by Erica Krauss. And like, really, you have that available to you, it sounds like, right now. And then Foster by Claire Keegan that's waiting for you at Carmichael's. What do you think you'll read next there? I think I'm going to start with Tell Me Everything because I have that right now on my Kindle. And then I think this weekend I'll head to Carmichael's and get uh, Foster. I love it. I can't wait to hear what you think. And then I'm really excited for you to have these books to look forward to. Gone Like Yesterday by Janelle Williams. And then I have some questions for you by Rebecca Mackay. I think those are both right up your alley. Can't wait. Sounds great. Me either. Courtney, thank you so much for coming on and talking books with me today. Thank you for having me, Anne. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Hey, readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Courtney, and I'd love to hear what you think she should read next. Let us know today at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com. That's also where you'll find all the books we talked about today. Every week, we take a look at some of our favorite podcast moments and engage in spirited book talk on our Instagram page at What Should I Read Next. We love it when you share our posts to your own stories and help your friends figure out what they should read. Follow me on Instagram too. I'm there at Ann Vogel. That's Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Stay in the loop for all our What Should I Read Next happenings when you sign up for our weekly newsletter. Visit whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter to make sure you never miss an update. Follow along on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. We're taking next week off so our team can enjoy a holiday break. But with over 350 episodes in our podcast backlist, we hope you'll find a delightfully bookish listen to enjoy. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode to kick off a new year of literary delight. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is created each week with production assistance by Holly Wilkachevsky and editing and sound design by Studio D Podcast Productions. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now.